On this episode of AppTalk, we see if anyone is still waiting for their bags at JFK. We review the 2017 Airbus and Boeing delivery numbers, and we remember a few moments from this week in aviation history. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of AvTalk. Happy New Year. I am Ian Pechnik and I am here for the 23rd time with... Jason Rabinowitz, happy 2018. Can we still say that or is it too late in the year to well, say it? I, I feel like you get like one, you get like one thing. This is the first time people are hearing from us in the New Year, so you get one. Okay. Well, unless they watched our, our special video update from a couple of weeks ago. That's true. That's true. We we did break in. <laughs> we couldn't wait to talk about how terrible the snowstorm in New York and, and JFK's handling of things happened to be. So we did a live YouTube video. So if you've ever wanted to see what we look like and sound like at the same time, you can watch that. And we'll, we'll put we a link apologize in, in advance for in that in the show notes. But but basically, we recapped what happened at JFK on the. 4th of January and and why it got so bad. So why don't we begin with an update on are people still there? Are, are they still locked in a sub-basement or something? It's very possible, yeah. Not so much people as much as bags at this point, actually. So all the I assume at this point all the people are where they all want to go, whether that's Asia, Europe, South America, wherever. But the big problem became bags is that people were strung in uh, were stuck in the terminal for days and days and days and a lot of people on foreign airlines are not you know either not english speaking as their first language or don't speak english at all which made it really difficult for them to submit bag claims i guess for the airlines to actually find them and deliver these bags so they kind of just piled up in the terminal for days and i think weeks at this point but i think they finally got it all sorted out and now there's all sorts of investigations into what the hell happened at JFK from the DOT, the FAA, the Port Authority is doing its own internal uh, investigation with Ray LaHood, who was uh, used to head up Obama's DOT. So so stuff is happening. And and let me ask you, as as the resident New Yorker, will anything change and no. will it get better? No. The answer is <laughs> no. The answer is always no. There's going to be you know, the immediate what happened, let's figure it out. And then a month later, we'll be like, what's the status of the investigation? And they'll be like, we don't have an update at this time. So so let's do like a really quick recap of what happened. On the 4th of January, there was a a normal, I mean, it was a snowstorm. But it, it was it, a snowstorm. There, no more. There wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't nine feet of snow. It, it, was, it was technically a blizzard. Okay, so so technically a blizzard, and and so what happened was is all of these flights took off, all of these international flights took off, and and basically ended up having to divert, or landed and had nowhere to go because all of the gate space was taken, and that's where things kind of compounded because instead of just closing the airport and telling everyone to go elsewhere, they kind of kept things open and and were saying, well, it's going to reopen, it's going to reopen, and then it didn't. And they did end up closing it, but by the time all of these flights had already gotten close enough to to divert to alternate airports or land at JFK and then just basically be stuck there. Right. And a bunch of airports had taken so many diversions that they actually said, stop, no more. We can't take it anymore. And they closed. I think Toronto and Baltimore both had so many diversions that they had to close two diversions. IAD closed an entire runway to park aircraft wayward from JFK. And the real problem, the real issue that happened was on the following day, 
when all of the flight crews reset, they were all legal to fly again. Everyone thought we're going to go fly back to JFK, pick up our passengers and get out, but we're all going to do it at the same exact time. And you can't do that at JFK because it runs pretty much at 100% capacity on a normal day. So if you try to add an entire day's flight schedule on top of a normal flight schedule, it's all going to break. And it broke. And and so one of the big things, and you you actually published an op-ed in the New York Post, I believe, detailing two. this. Two op-eds detailing this. And, and it, what's fascinating to me is that there, there are what, eight terminals or eight numbered terminals? I don't know there how many there are. There are six current terminals. And they're numbered up to eight, yeah. Okay, so it's like, you know, O'Hare is missing its terminal four. But well, we knocked a couple down. Well, yeah, exactly. So if if you're at term if you fly into terminal one and you have gate space at terminal one, there's no possible way to use gate space at terminal eight. Because I'm told under exceptional circumstances, it is allowed. But if this wasn't those ext- extreme circumstances, I don't know what ever will be. Uh, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you know, when you've got, a, you know, departure queues that are, you know, three, four hours long, you had an Air China flight that sat waiting for a gate for over seven hours. I mean, can you... After a 14-hour flight yeah, from I mean, Beijing. Can you imagine flying from, from Beijing to New York, you land... And they're like, by the way, we're going to spend another seven hours just kind of hanging out here in the snow. Waiting yeah, the for gate's a right over there, but we, we can't have it. That, I mean, that's just amazing to me. And there, the, were, there were almost riots in the airport. The police had to come in to, to calm things down. It was, it was a nightmare at that I, airport. I can't say I blame anybody you know, for, for being extremely upset. I'm shocked that upset. nobody on any of these flights decided – I've been here five hours. I want to get off this plane. And they didn't pop the emergency slide and just take off because people have done it under lesser circumstances. That's true. That's true. What was it? Ryanair a couple weeks ago? Somebody did yeah. that? After only 30 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, seven hours. I'm, I, I, I too am surprised. You know, and what, what was it in Canada when the somebody called the cops on Air Transat? A while oh, ago? a bunch of people called the cops. I believe that happened at JFK as well, but... At JFK, your 911 call is probably going to be routed to the Port Authority police, and we already established that the Port Authority doesn't care what happens to its passengers, so it's not going to do anything there. So so basically, everything is, is back to normal, but people are looking into why everything sucked, and as Jason pointed out, nothing will probably change. No. Status quo. That's what we do best here. <laughs> so... So this week marked the anniversary of two rather significant aviation events. And I didn't know they were so close together until today. Yeah, I mean we were we were talking about one and then and then you you brought up the second and I, I hadn't realized that today was the day. So it's the seventeenth of January. And on the fifteenth, it was the ninth anniversary of what became known as the Miracle on the Hudson with Chesley Sullenberger and, and Jeffrey Skiles and, and the rest of the crew safely landing on the Hudson River. I don't even think we need to talk about what happened here because everyone knows. I, I mean, if, if you don't, five second recap, plane takes off from LaGuardia, hits a flock of geese, loses both engines, lands in the river. Everybody's okay. That was exactly okay. five seconds. Well done. <laughs> I was watching my audio recording and that was exactly five. So, I mean, I mean that that's what happened. It was just, I, I looked and it was nine years ago and it just seems like it was, it hasn't been that long. Yeah, it's kind of kind of amazing how long ago. I mean, that airline doesn't even exist anymore, U.S. Airways, and we all just kind of think of it like it was yesterday. 
But I, I guess it's cool that you can go down to where is it? Where is it these days? The Carolinas Aviation Museum. So it's connected to Charlotte Douglas Airport, right? Which is was the one of the hubs of U.S. Air back in the day. Yeah. So they 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 trucked the after it got pulled out of the river. They they trucked the the fuselage and the wings and and all sorts of good pieces that had fallen off in the process, like the engines, down to down to the Carolinas Aviation Museum, and they had basically reassembled it as best they could and and so you can see you can really see the damage that the that the water did and, and how well the plane held up well a lot of the damage was also caused by the salvage operation in the Hudson River actually i think that there was a big lawsuit about that if i recall correctly that uh, they severed one of the engines getting it out of the water i think and at some point they they the insurance company thought they could actually put this aircraft back into service but the damage from the salvage operation to get it out of the river kind of totaled it, which yeah, would have been well, kind of shocking. I would have been amazed if they had repaired it and put it back into service. Yeah, we've seen weirder. We have seen weirder. That that's true. But but that yeah, nine nine years ago today, and, and so what if, happened ten years ago? Ten years ago today was British Airways Flight Thirty Eight coming in from Beijing on approach to to London Heathrow. And the pilots noticed that they didn't have any engine power. Weird. You you need that. It's true. The autothrottle stopped responding and there was no more engine power. And so the the it was a triple seven and it ended up basically a forced landing short of the runway threshold. And it landed about a, a thousand feet short of the runway and and rolled bounced and rolled to a stop basically at the very start of the runway. Thankfully, um, it was on, on yeah. grass. That could yeah. have been a lot worse, uh, you know, looking at how dense that area is. But thankfully, it was able to glide to a point where they put it down on some grass and everyone was, everyone walked away. Yeah. there. Were, I, I think there were, you know, like a, there was a handful of serious to semi-serious injuries. Like I think there were a couple broken bones and, and somebody ended up with a concussion. But everyone, you know, made it out okay and they they did not put that plane back into service that that no i I believe that was the first hull loss of a triple seven actually yeah yeah that was the that was the first one the landing gear on the believe it was the main body gear on the left hand side and and we have pictures that we can add into the show notes uh, that shows this came up through the wing because of the the force of the impact and and the engines also were severely damaged, so it, that was a that one was a loss too. But uh, yeah, ten ten years ago uh, today, in fact, doesn't seem like that long ago. But I, I guess we should mention why it happened. You mean the, the cause of the the cause of the loss of power? Exactly. So as as I recall, I, I think we just talked about this actually that there was a, a faulty design of a fuel filter that it ended up accumulating ice crystals on the filter to the point where fuel just could not flow through the filter. Fuel stopped flowing and the engine stopped turning. And that that's that's all it took. Yeah. So that it was, was uh, it's exceptionally cold that day or, or something along those lines. And there had been issues in the past where aircraft at cruise had single engine shutdowns, but they were always able to get them going again. But this was uh, kind of the worst case timing for that. Yeah, it's it's like like any incident. It's always you know it's never one thing. It's always a a collection of you know factors. And this was you know where they were flying from, where they were flying to, the altitude that they were flying at, the inner weather, et cetera, et cetera. 
This one is a pretty simple cause. I mean, usually there's all sorts of things. The crew messed something up or this system malfunctioned and it ended up being in a chain reaction. This was quite literally, uh, the fuel filter was, was a faulty design and, and the fuel crystal, the ice crystals couldn't go through it. That's it. The crew did exceptionally well. Their yeah. actions, they manipulated the aircraft. They changed the flap settings to get a little extra glide out of it. Had they not, who knows what would have happened, but they were, everything else went right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Every, everything that, uh, that could go right after everything that could go wrong did. So that it all, you know, ended much better than it otherwise would have. I hate when things go wrong. Yeah, indeed. So what do we talk about next? Let's see. What do we want to talk about? Let's talk about, let's talk about last year. Oh, Already? Already. Yeah, I know. We're not that far into this year, and we're already talking about last year. Boeing and Airbus made a bunch of planes. They delivered a bunch of planes, and, and some of them were uh, pretty cool. Yeah, some of them were. Okay, okay, cool. Next topic. <laughs> so quickly, Boeing delivered, you know, just, just some of the highlights, and, and you know, I, I feel like we're returning to a, a regular theme of ours about the you know, the last kind of 747s and things like that. But we actually have some first 747s in here too because UPS got their first 747-8. Is it in service yet? It is, yes. Yeah, oh. they, they have three in service already. Good for them. Or two in service and one ready to be in service almost. Qatar Cargo got their first two. And Korean Air got their last 747-8 Probably the, the probably last the passenger last. version of the 747 ever. Mm -hmm. And mm. then uh, the United States Air Force took two mothballed 747s that are going to be used for the uh, presidential aircraft. Or something. Or, yeah, or something. Well, they, they, something. they took them, so they're going to be used for something. Yeah. Did you mention the, the number of deliveries already? I did not. I should have ah, started okay. with that. You should have. So... Boeing delivered 763 aircraft in total. I guess I'll break it down for those who really like numbers. 529 737s, because of course they crank like 14 of those out a day. 14 747s, 10 76s, 74 777s, and 136 787s. Airbus, on the other hand, delivered 718 aircraft, so uh, about 50 less than Boeing. 558 A320 family aircraft. I guess they split that out. 181 Neo versus 377 CO. 67 330s, 78 A350s, and 15 380s. So I guess the, the real story there is 15 A380s. Yeah, that's, that's not <laughs> much, but it's better than Boeing's deliveries on the 747s. Yeah, that, that's true. By That's one. true, but there are no A380 freighters, so right, they're all all passenger. Too bad there isn't version, but there are also some new list prices for aircraft. Do you want you want to hear some list prices I for would, these aircraft? I would love to hear how much I can absolutely not afford an airplane. Yes, okay. please. Name an Airbus aircraft, and I'll tell you what it costs. The A330 300. A330 300. If you are a sucker and you pay list price. Something nobody does, and I think they've only done once for a, a corporate jet at one point, 264.2 million United States dollars. Oh, okay. That that doesn't seem that doesn't seem that bad. Maybe maybe a like a Kickstarter or GoFundMe or something. We could we could scrape that together. The Flight Radar 24 corporate jet. Yeah, there you go. 
What about what do you think an A three eighty costs these days? Double the A three thirty. What's double the A three thirty cost? Well, I don't, what was that? Two two sixty two times two sixty two sixty four times two. Okay. Quick, so do the math. <laughs> I can't not see now. Now I've been put on the spot. You I did. put you on the spot. I you, failed. You couldn't do it. An A three eighty list price four hundred forty five point six million dollars. So, so less than double, but but still not inconsequential. Less than double, but still. I'm pretty sure they've never sold an A380 for that or anywhere near that price because that's. I, I always wonder. I mean, Emirates has bought you know what sixty thousand A380s. I mean, I wonder what their discount is. You can do the math if when they order these aircraft in bulk, say we spent this much on it, divide it true, by true. you know a hundred or whatever. But they're probably naming list prices anyway, so that doesn't quite work. But here's some Boeing list prices. Sure. Let's see if you want to buy a triple seven three hundred ER, the current version, three hundred sixty one point five million dollars on average. They say if you want to buy a, a brand new triple seven nine, the new X, four hundred twenty five point eight million. Okay, I can I write you a check? Um, no. You can you Venmo me that? <laughs> uh, I think the PayPal, cheapest. Maybe? I'm not going to say cheapest but the least, least expensive aircraft boeing and airbus sell combined would be the a318 for 77.4 million but i don't think they sell many of those i can't i mean i can't remember the last time somebody ordered one of those no what, nobody a, does what's a 737 max cost which kind of max let's go max eight since that's the only one a max so eight 117.1 million as opposed to an A320 Neo, which is 101 million, so it's a pretty substantial discount oh, okay. if you're paying list prices, which, which again nobody, nobody pays. Yeah. Nobody. Well, you could buy a freighter, a 76300 current version freighter for 212 million. All right. Cool. Yeah. Not bad. Nah, I, I can't afford any of this. No. I don't even have a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, wow, that's a lot of yeah. money. Yeah, it is a lot of money. One day. One day. One day. Should we take a, a a quick musical interlude and then come back and talk about some more stuff? But sure. All right, let's do it. We'll be right back. So we are back and we're Talking, we talked about Sully. We talked about BA thirty eight. Now we get to talk about what happened this week in Turkey. Right. If you've probably been yelling at your phone or whatever this whole time, saying, "What are they going to talk about, Pegasus?" And, and that's now. <laughs> so, so for those who who haven't been yelling at us for the first a few minutes of the podcast, of the podcast, Ian, yeah, a Pegasus seven thirty seven did bad things. Did a bit of a number. Landing in Trabzon, Trabzon. You sure? Not quite sure on the pronunciation. Partial credit. Partial credit. It was uh, flying from Ankara to to Trabzon. We'll go with that. Landed seemingly okay, and then uh, turned left instead of right, or or went left, or uh, something. We don't something know happened. why it went left. I, I, I say left in, instead of right because if you've seen the pictures, and we'll include some in the show notes because they're absolutely incredible, left or, – or I should say right, turning right or going right would lead to one of the high-speed exits, a taxiway, the airport terminal, and not news. Left happens to be a near sheer cliff into the Black Sea. 
Yeah, you don't want to go left. Don't want to go left. No, no, that, that's bad. And they went left, but... And then things went south. Yeah, in an extremely, extremely lucky set of circumstances, the aircraft stopped on the embankment, did not go into the sea, and and everyone was okay. Uh, part of the aircraft went into the sea. One of okay. the engines one, was one, sheared one of off. One the engines went into the sea. One of the engines was sheared off, rolled down the hill, and was floating out in the Black Sea. I mean, not your everyday common occurrence for for a CFM fifty six, no. but I no. Mean, thankfully, no. the other CFM fifty six remained attached to the wing and kind of hit some rocks. And it looks like that was pretty much the only thing that kept the entire aircraft from a breaking apart and then b floating away. Yeah, and, and if past performance of aircraft in the water have have shown us anything, um, that's not always a good thing. No, we saw that with. Uh, I don't want to get the airline wrong here, but it was I feel like it was Lion Air. I think yeah, I think that was the the Lion Air. Yeah, Lion Air fell short of the runway out in I don't remember where, but it was no good. An American seven thirty seven in Jamaica, I believe, overran the runway. Didn't even have a hill or water or anything. Broke apart. So they were very very lucky that the aircraft did not break apart. Did not find itself floating in the Black Sea, and everyone was okay. But the the angle that aircraft came to a rest at is just insane. The pictures I saw at first were I just saw like a plane in dirt and thought, okay, this picture is just sideways. And then I woke up the next morning and saw a video of it. I was, whoa, that that is not what I thought it was at first. Yeah, it was. It was the photos were pretty incredible. And and somebody managed to get a, a drone up in the morning and and took some video of of kind of the whole overview. And and once you see where the runway is situated and and the lay of the land, it becomes even more incredible. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see the report of why they went left and not right. Yeah. Whether it was a mechanical issue, icy runway, or simply they just turned left instead of right. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that, that, that'll be something that we'll definitely talk about uh, when the report comes out. Shall we talk about the end of an airline? Rest in peace, Virgin America. So earlier, was it this week or last week? Last week. Last week, Virgin America ceased to be when Alaska, which purchased Virgin, merged their operating certificates. And so now the Redwood call sign is gone and, and everything is Alaska. Except, you know, obviously the, the paint and the uniforms and all of the signage and things like that. Those are still Virgin America. They'll get that all shifted over in due course. Yeah. But hey, but the airline is, is gone. It's gone. The paint will remain the same for quite a while until they get all those aircraft repainted. It takes a while to do that. American just basically finished repainting all the U.S. Air aircraft into the new American livery. So, but Virgin America is obviously much smaller than U.S. Airways was. But it's always a sad moment. But I was listening to live ATC at JFK Tower for when the first Virgin aircraft went out from JFK as an Alaska call sign. And it's just kind of hilarious listening to the pilots constantly trip over themselves because they've been saying call sign Virgin for possibly a decade now. And suddenly they have to to change call signs and they just kept stumbling over themselves over and over. And I can't imagine how difficult that must be to have to – learn learn to say the new call sign from muscle memory like that after decade of of doing one thing well and and i remember the the same thing when american and us airways merged 
they had, you know, the cactus call sign went away and, and there was all sorts of, you know, cactus, I mean, American that catching the slip of the tongue. Yeah, it, it's sad, but it's another plant-based call sign we lost. We lost cactus, we lost redwood. What else? Uh, who else is a plant-based call sign that we could lose? I can't say I've ever categorized call signs by What, what do you do all day? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair question. Yeah. But one, one of the things we should mention is that so Alaska for a very, very long time has been proudly all Boeing. <coughs> sure, sure. Go with me here. I mean, setting aside, you know, all of the non-Boeing aircraft in the fleet. But now with, with the entrance of, of, of the Virgin Airbus fleet into Alaska, it's about time to see some Airbus in Alaska paint. They've got and one already. They do? They do. It came straight from the factory. It's not delivered yet, but well, it does no, exist. Okay, yeah, no, right, right. It's So it's, it's still being painted and hasn't been delivered yet. But the, the first aircraft to fly may be November 625 VA, which is currently in Victorville and landed a few days ago. So it's entirely possible that that could be the first aircraft that we see in the US in the, the first former version Airbus in Alaska paint. So we're keeping an eye on that one. It's going to be awkward. What's that? It's going to be awkward seeing the Alaska livery on an Airbus aircraft. That's fair, I guess. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, of Alaska, I forgot to mention this other thing. They announced their routes that they're going to operate out of Payne Field. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So Payne Field is the airport that Boeing has their major Everett facility at where they manufacture the 747, the 767, the triple seven the seven eight seven and there hasn't been passenger service there in the past until alaska air last year announced they would start up service along with united but finally yesterday actually on the 16th alaska announced their their routes and it's actually pretty substantial paint fields it's a it's a bunch portland san francisco san jose vegas LAX, Orange County, San Diego, and all the way down to Phoenix. So it's not like a little regional operation. It's a pretty, it's a West Coast operation they have there now, or will. But not bad. I, ironically, it doesn't sound like all the flights are going to be operated by a Boeing 737. Hmm. Yeah, uh, you're not going to see an Airbus there from Virgin, at least for the time being. But you are very likely to end up seeing an Alaska Airlines Embraer E-175 up at Payne Field, which may make well, sense well, if, you know, Boeing buys yeah, I was going to say, it, it could be, you know, a Boeing B-175, no, I don't know. A Boeing E-175, yeah, totally. Everything comes <laughs> full circle at the I end. Yes. Oh. Okay, so what we wanted to do to end the show is is start a, a bit of a new... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Kind of thematic element that we're, we're going to try out and do and, and hopefully people like it and you can tell us to do more of it or you can tell us it's a waste of your time. Please stop. What we want to do is kind of have a glossary item, term, something like that, that we hear all the time but maybe don't understand exactly what it is or, or don't have a, a clear grasp on it. So it being winter and winter weather leading to a lot of these, we wanted to kick it off with the phrase ground stop, which should strike fear into the heart of every traveler waiting to take off. Indeed it does. 
Now, Wikipedia defines a ground stop as an air traffic control measure that slows or halts the flow of inbound aircraft into a given airport. In other words, a ground stop is the halting of departing aircraft destined for one particular airport or for a specific geographic area. So, the next time some uninformed airline employee says, we can't take off because there's a ground stop here at JFK, but you're flying to Miami where there is no ground stop, you know they're making stuff up. Or at least they're misinformed or they're just outright wrong. A ground stop applies for an aircraft departing to another city. Am I right with that, Ian? You are correct. So, so there you say, go. say I'm in Los Angeles and I'm flying to New York and there's really bad weather in New York. And so JFK issues a ground stop. That means that all of the Oh, they flights, do that all the time. They, they do that all the time. And I've been bitten by it at least once. Watched a plane that I was supposed to get on back away from the gate as I ran towards it. Mm, Still brings bad. back uh, sad memories. But so yeah. anyway, so I'm, I'm flying from Los Angeles to JFK. And JFK issues a ground stop. So the flight that I'm on in Los Angeles is now stopped on the ground in Los Angeles and cannot take off until JFK lifts that ground stop. That's right. And it can happen for any number of reasons. It could be weather, runway construction, security even. If Air Force One is in town, they pretty much shut down the whole airport and they're going to stop aircraft from taking off and going to said airport. On 9-11, there was a, basically a, a country nationwide ground stop. Yeah, I mean, it, it can happen for, for all sorts of reasons. And, and And the idea is that it allows the the receiving airport to kind of get ahead of the game or, or get back on its feet in in certain cases depending on what's been causing the issue that that's right. building up so, traffic as an example in new york during lo, during poor weather like low visibility or rain the number of aircraft that let's say newark can have land on its one two runways is drastically reduced i don't know what the numbers go from but it's basically cut in half to prevent all these aircraft from taking off and ending up having to circle for an hour and a half before they can land at Newark, they the FAA issues a ground stop so any flight that wants to take off from wherever cannot actually do that. And there's usually a, a time period here. A ground stop is issued until a specific time, be it um, if it's 2 o'clock now, there might be a ground stop in place until 3.30 later that day. And it might be geographic as well, I believe, that aircraft from further away can still take off. But if you're hopping from Baltimore to New York, the ground stop might be in effect for you. Right, right. That so, was very educational. It, I mean, I, well, I I hope that I hope that it was. I mean, because, I mean, you hear ground stop all the time, especially in, you know, kind of local news and things like that. And, you know, there, there's, a, there's a ground stop, but no one ever really explains kind of what's going on. So hopefully that was a bit of an education and, and informative. And if you liked that, let us know and we'll keep doing it. If you have questions about aviation terms, email us, podcast at fr24.com with uh, the term that you've got a question about or, or something maybe you don't quite understand. We'll do our best to answer it. If we can't answer it ourselves, we can find somebody who can. Wikipedia.com. I, I oh, was wait, thinking no, of no, talking no. to someone who might actually know a little bit more what they're talking about, but we'll, we'll start. We'll start slow. Gotta aim high. There you go. First episode of 2018. How do you feel? Feeling pretty good. All right, then. Yeah, I like this new thing we got going on. Yeah. 
So we're starting off the new year, right? I think, and we're going to get back into it. We're going to have some some great guests on in the beginning of the year. Looking forward to talking with some some pilots about some things that they're doing that are new to them, maybe, and learning a little bit more about that, and kind of expanding the the work that we do. Maybe doing a few more YouTube live videos if there's some breaking news or things like that where we can contribute. If anyone has anything that they want to hear about, talk about, or listen to, let us know, podcast at fr24.com, and we're always happy to have your suggestions. That's right. Remember, any complaints go to Ian, any compliments go to me. Of course. Of yeah. course. Well, I am Ian Petrnik, and I am here as always with... As always with Jason Rabinowitz, and thank you very, very much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.